Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 38 as we continue in the book of Acts. We've been in a teaching series that we've entitled Acts, the Gospel Unleashed. And you know, at Reach Life Church, we have a mission. Did you know that? As a church, we have a mission. Actually, every church has a mission, and really it should be the same mission. And we have a mission statement. When you came in this morning, hopefully you got what we call a, uh, the weekly and on the back of it, it, we have the mission statement written. Uh, if you didn't get one, you can get one later at the uh, Welcome Center at the end. But I've got this morning our mission written out, and I want to go over it together as a church. So would you read our mission with me? Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus, that should be in in one form or another. This is the mission of the church, that that you are understanding that you are a disciple that is in ministry. One of the things we talk about here at Reach Life Church is that any true disciple is a minister, and that every disciple is meant to be in full-time ministry, not just me, not just the paid pastors, not just me and Terry, but if you are a disciple, you are a minister, and listen, God has given you a ministry. Let me ask you, and I want you to think to yourself, do you think of yourself as a minister? Probably not. You probably think of a minister as someone that is a pastor or is a bishop, but I want to give the definition of what a minister is or what a Christian minister is. A Christian minister is someone who tends to the needs of others in the name of Jesus. A Christian minister is someone who gives aid or service to another. Maybe it's uh, physical needs. It might be spiritual, spiritual needs. It might even be emotionally. We care for one another. We care for other people as ministers. And this is because as Christian ministers, we are what uh, we would call ambassadors. Jesus is ambassadors. We are Jesus's representatives. And so the vision of the church from the time that this church was planted, from the time that the church was planted in Acts, is that every disciple would be a minister in full-time ministry uh, wherever God has planted them. And so what we do each week, this is what we're, and I want to show you what we're supposed to be doing, because sometimes we forget what we're doing. But what we do is we come together, we gather, like we're doing right now, we gather together to be fed, to be encouraged, to be instructed, to be built up, to be equipped. We come together, we come together during midweek to do the same thing. And then what do we do? We're to go out. We are sent out to what? Minister, to take care of needs. After we've been fed, after we've been encouraged, after we've been built up, we're to go out and then be ministers wherever God has planted us. Now, for the past 
uh, I don't know, five years or so, I have given a benediction to this church. And sometimes I think we can just daydream at the, at the end and forget what I'm doing, but I want to go over that this morning. Many of you may not know that the benediction I give is actually from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this real quick and, let, and remind you of what I'm actually doing at the end. I, by God's grace, I'm going to do it at the end of this service. I say, may, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Right there, I preached the gospel to us. He raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus shed his blood. You see that there? And then I say, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And I add, this week. Now, I'm not adding to the word of God. I'm just expounding upon it, okay? Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What is pleasing in his sight is when we are ministering in the name of Jesus, when we've been ministered to, and when we go out and minister to others. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen, Amen, right? That's what we say. I want you to understand what we're doing. And then I will say, Reach Life Church, you are sent. You are sent. So that's what we're doing each Sunday. Sometimes we can just do it and forget why we do it. So I wanted to go over this morning why we do what we do. We gather to, to, to be sent out to minister, to be ministered to, and then to go out and to minister. And we want to be healthy, effective, effective ministers. That is something that um, we all need to grow in. We all need to be encouraged in. And today's passage that we're going to be in this morning actually is going to aid us in growing to be more effective ministers. And if if, uh, you know, remember the, the Apostle Paul, he is one of the greatest examples of a human minister. He was an effective minister. And last week, if you'll remember, we were in the city of Troas, and Paul is there ministering And it's his last uh, message that he's going to give to these people. So what does he do? He stays up late into midnight. A boy named Eutychus falls out of the window and dies. Paul kills him with his preaching. But by the grace of God, he raises him back from the dead. And what does Paul do? He gets back up, goes inside, eats, and starts ministering again and keeps talking to them until the morning, until daybreak. And at daybreak, it says that Paul and his missionary team leave Troas and they head south, and eventually they end up in a city called Miletus. Miletus. And that's where we're going to pick up in our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick up with verse 17, and we're going to read all the way. And this, is, this might be, seem lengthy to some of us. We're going to read all the way to verse 38, the Word of God. So now, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. What we find out in the verses before this is that Paul is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem because he wants to be there for the day of Pentecost. And so instead of backtracking, instead of backtracking and and going to Ephesus personally, verse 17 says that he sent for for the pastors in Ephesus to come to him. And that's probably because he knew that if he went to Ephesus, he's so relational that he would have ended up staying there and he would have ended up ministering to them and he would not have been able to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. So another thing that we're going to see as we move forward in this passage is in verse 25, we're going to see that this is the last time Paul is going to 
communicate, this is the last time you're going to see my face. So this is the very last time on this earth that Paul is going to be able to minister to the pastors in Ephesus. And this is the final thing he says to them. He wants them to be effective ministers. He wants them to thrive and survive. He wants the churches to be healthy after he leaves. So as we read through this, I want you to read with the mindset of what is Paul trying to communicate to these churches in order that they would have effective ministers in them. It says, And when they came to him, speaking of the pastors, the elders, Paul said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only, look at this right here, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul was given a ministry just like you have been given a ministry. And Paul says, I want to make sure that I finish the ministry, that I'm faithful to the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus And here is the ministry, and this is all of our ministries, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you have believed in Jesus, if you have received the grace of God, that is what your ministry should be about, testifying to the gospel, the way we live our lives, the way we talk uh, as we go out as ministers. He says, but I do not, okay. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 28, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul is telling the pastors there that they need to pay attention to themselves and then pay attention to the flock. And he reminds them that it is not their flock. It is Jesus's flock, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says it again, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard, in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. That is, that is the word of God. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take this passage and quickly break down what Paul is saying, what it looks like if we're going to be effective ministers. I want to look at this passage together and just bring out some verses and points that come straight from this passage. And the first one is this. If we're going to be effective ministers, then we have to engage by example. We have to, two words here, engage by example. Notice that Paul said in verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, look at what it says. It says, you yourselves know. Now he's talking straight to them. He goes, you know this. There's, you know what I'm saying, what I'm about to say is true, that I lived what? Among you. That I lived among you the whole time. And so clearly, Paul is engaged, was engaged with those he was ministering to. Um, this included those who were inside the church and those who were outside the church. In verse 20, he said that he went um, public from house to house. And then in 21, he says that he testified both to Jews and to Greeks. So he, he testified, he ministered to those who were inside the church and those who were outside the church. Paul, in other words, was not a celebrity pastor. He didn't fly in a private jet and, uh, or, or drive around in a sports car with tinted windows that you couldn't see in. Now, I'm not preaching against sports cars with tinted windows, and I'm not preaching against uh, flying jets, that type of thing. He also didn't live in a gated community and then just send out his YouTube live stream videos from time to time. Paul was engaged with the people. He said, you yourselves know how I lived among you. In other words, if we are going to be effective ministers and engage, we have to be touchable. We have to be accessible. People have to be able to get to us. And then we have to be examples. We have to be trustworthy. Notice in verse 33 that Paul said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. In other words, he said this, my motives when I came among you were pure. I didn't want anything from you. I didn't come to get. I came to give to you. I wasn't trying to use you for personal gain. I wasn't trying to pad my pockets with what you could give to me or to build my self-esteem by having some massive ministry through your lives. He wasn't using people in order to uh, build himself up. In verse 34, he says, you yourselves know. And that, can you imagine him holding his hands up in front of them? He said that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you, this is the example, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to minister than to receive. Now, there are times, listen, that you need to be ministered to. There's some people in this church that need to be ministered to. But you know what? There's some people in this church that don't want to be ministered to. Do you know who I'm talking about? Are you like that? Can you raise your hand if you're like that? 
Do you know that you're, I'm like that. So I'm going to let y'all minister to me from now on, okay? But there's times that, that the Lord puts us in situations where we need to minister to one another. And when we don't let people minister to us when we need it, we are actually shortchanging the, the church. It is a blessing. It is more blessed to minister than to receive, to give than to receive. And this is what Jesus taught uh, in Luke 14. He says, when you give a, a, a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Don't give to people that can give back to you. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be what? Blessed. That word blessed means happy. Because they cannot repay you. You're going to be happy that they can't repay you. Why? For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is a great promise from the Lord. And, and this is actually a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Because Jesus is the perfect example who engaged. He came from heaven. He came among us. And we were the spiritually weak the spiritually poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. We had debts we could not pay, and he invited us to a feast that he is giving, knowing that we can never repay him. How, does, how did he make our way at the feast? By dying for us, by ministering to us through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. Our sins have been paid for. And if you, listen to me, disciples of Jesus, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, if you really claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you have received what Jesus has done for you, then what I'm sharing with you about being a minister, there should be something in you going, yes. Yes, I want to grow in this. No, I'm not where I need to be, but I want to grow as a minister. Because what we basically, that is basically the Spirit of God uh, bringing us to life, and we do to others what Christ has done for us. That's what ministry is. We're simply doing to others what Christ has done for us as we are empowered by him. So effective ministers, number one, engage by example. They are engaged. Secondly, they endure trials. They endure trials. Verse 19, this is what Paul said. He said that he served the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials. Now, this is the part of being a Christian that a lot of times we don't want to think about or we should think about, but we don't. We need to have a sober mind when it comes to ministry, because it is, it is so fun to talk about ministry, isn't it? I love reading books about guys that died for Jesus. Don't you love reading about those guys? They inspire us, what, to keep reading sometimes. I just love stories where people go through trials. All movies, all good movies, trials are overcome, right? I love reading about it, it's enjoyable to think about it. It's enjoyable to talk about it. I remember when we were before we planted this church, I was excited. I just couldn't wait because, you know, thousands were going to come and millions were going to be saved through Reach Life Church. So it's enjoyable to think about being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples. But true ministry, listen, if we're going to be effective ministers, we have to realize that true ministry in, is difficult and it requires that we endure throughout trials. And sometimes the, the trial comes from somebody that's outside the church, someone that, that opposes God, that doesn't want the gospel to advance. But more than not, 
What I've seen is that trials come from within the church with those who do know Jesus, who love Jesus, and those, the trials come when we are seeking to minister to one another, when we're seeking to disciple someone. Um, ministry can, will drain you dry, and it will wear you out. True ministry. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If, you, if, if you're not saying amen right now and you can't, like, in your soul... I want to talk to you afterwards because I want to get you engaged with ministry, with true ministry. It will, listen to me, it will wear you out because oftentimes the people that we're seeking to uh, minister to, that we're seeking to disciple, don't want to grow and be discipled as much as you want them to grow and be discipled. That's just the, the truth of the matter. It's been, that's the first time I entered ministry years ago. That's what I discovered, and it has not changed. And it, hasn't, it was like this in the scriptures too. It is difficult. True ministry is difficult. And, and I praise God that uh, we're going through this reading plan with the church. We're reading through the New Testament. Uh, if you want to join us, it's not too late. Just go on our, our website homepage and, and uh, download the reading plan. But this week, we've been in the book of James, if you've been with us. And I needed a verse, James chapter 1, uh, verse 12. It said this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Another translation would say, blessed is the man who endures under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is a promise. If you will endure through trials, don't uh, give in. Keep pushing through and, tr and joining together, being encouraged, going out, coming together, being encouraged, going out. Keep enduring it says that God in time is going to give us a crown of life. Another one that is very helpful to me, this might be helpful to you, if you're tired of planting seeds or watering or, or ministering, it says, let us not grow weary. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. And you know what, I bet you, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, somebody here this morning uh, is tired of sowing, somebody here this morning is tired of gardening, um, some of us here this, uh, this morning are tired of feeling like we're the only ones doing anything, and I get it. Um, but let me tell you something, as, uh, as your pastor, uh, let me just tell you something as, as a disciple, that um, I need you. Church, I need you uh, as a disciple. I need you to endure. Um, I need you to engage because I'm just like you. There are so many times that I get tired in ministry. I get tired of uh, trying to minister to people who don't want to be ministered to. But you know what? The truth is I'm the same way. There's been times in my life where I've been that guy that didn't want the ministry that someone was trying to minister to. So, so I've been on both sides of the fence. But I need people that are engaged. I need people that are enduring because when I see you, when I talk to you, when I hear what you're doing, what God is doing in your life, it strengthens me. It encourages me. It, ma it makes me want to keep on going. It, it reminds me, hey, I'm not the only one that is in a situation like this. The trials that we have in our, from our ministries are there. Let me remind you, they are there to test us, to show you what's in your heart. They are there to train us they are there to sanctify us. That means to make you more like Jesus. 
Jesus is using trials to knock off those rough edges in you and to produce fruit, to prune us. Don't forget that. We forget that. Don't forget that. Don't, and this is what I want to, if you don't hear anything else from me this morning, hear this. Church, do not leave your post. Stay faithful. Keep enduring. Be a faithful minister because Jesus says, and he cannot lie, he says that he promises to reward us in due time. So effective ministers engage by example. Effective ministers endure trials. And effective ministers exposit Scripture. Exposit Scripture. Paul said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, To exposit Scripture is just a scholarly way of saying that we want to seek to rightly interpret Scripture the way that God intended it to be when he wrote it through the prophets. We want, to go, we want to be in the proper context. We need to understand what God meant in the passages that we are in. We, not just to understand it, but so that we can apply it. And we, and we want to exposit all of Scripture. We want to take books of the Bible. That's what we want to do here at, at our church. We want to t- take entire books. We want to take entire passages, and we want to exposit them or expose. The, that's, um, that's what you're doing when you're expositing. You're exposing what was in the passage. We're exposing the meaning in order that we would live lives that reveal Jesus and make his gospel attractive. And we got to be careful, church, because we all have a tendency to go to the passages that we like the best. We, we have these little roads that we like to go on. And we've got to be careful that we don't just go to the passages that make us feel good. You know, the Psalms 23 passages, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that's in the Bible, okay? So we want to go there if, if that's where our reading goes, if that's where the Lord leads us. But we also want to go to the difficult passages, the passages that challenge us, the passages that instruct us to repent, to turn from sin, that from sin to faith in Jesus. And again, Paul says, I declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so we want to go through the entire Bible at some point in our church. We're not going to do it in one week, but we're going to, over time, if God uh, tarries and he allows us, we want to go through the entire counsel of the word of God uh, so that we don't just preach on our favorite topics, but that we preach on the topics that God has as we move through the passages. So effective ministers engage by example, endure trials, exposit scripture, and expose false teachers. This is one of the areas that uh, if we are rightly expositing the scriptures, this will help us to do this one, to expose false teachers. Remember what Paul says? He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, this is what's really scary, from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be 
And that's one of the things that we need to understand that what Paul is doing here. He's like a loving father. He's coming to uh, this, these elders, and he is expressing his deep concern for the welfare of the churches. Again, he knows he's never going to see their face, faces again. Can you think, of, it's kind of like, I guess, sending your child off, uh, knowing that you're never going to see them again. And you're giving them the words that, that, uh, that you know could happen to them if they don't pay attention. And he knows that they're going to be attacked by what he calls fierce wolves. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous or ravenous wolves. The apostle John said the same thing. He said, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. The apostle Peter warned, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And so false teachers have always, listen, if you study the scriptures, false teachers have always been around the children of God, always. Uh, Wherever the truth is taught, falsehood is taught. And they are raised up by Satan to try to destroy the people of God and the work of God. And so what we need to do, Reach Life Church, is we need to be able to identify, we need to be able to expose, and we need to be able to protect ourselves and the gospel from the destructive influences of false teachers. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16, here's how you do it. He says, you're going to know them by their what? You will know them by their fruits. Yes, you will know them by their fruits. Now listen, false teachers produce certain kinds of fruit. That's a good thing. Now, sometimes it's hard to see at first, but there's two kinds I want to I show us this morning to be aware of. Number one is sometimes, and it's not always, but sometimes, most of the times, they teach destructive heresies. Sometimes they don't. They're smart enough to, to teach the doctrine, but sometimes, a lot of times, they teach destructive heresies. And Peter says that they, speaking of the false teachers, will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. One of the things that false teachers do is they, they deny core fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, and they, what they will do is they will seek to pervert the gospel and to preach another gospel. And one of the things we got to be careful for, uh, listen, as you are listening to a teacher, we have to be careful that we don't let gifting be the measure of whether that teacher should be listened to. I can't stress this enough, uh, how entertaining they are, uh, how eloquent they are, uh, because most of the times a good, a good wolf that's bad is good at communicating and is very charismatic and likable. That's why they're able to draw people in. So you don't, now it doesn't mean that if someone's gifted that, that, that they're, a fault, they're a wolf, okay? We should try to have the word of God and expound it in ways that is uh, understandable and enjoyable. But a, you gotta be careful that that is not what you first look for. We need to look at how, what they're teaching. And a lot of times they will be charismatic man pleasers and they will learn what people want to hear, and then they'll teach it. 
and they will avoid topics like sin. They won't preach on sin. They won't teach on repentance. Uh, and they won't preach on different uh, difficult doctrines like the doctrine of hell or eternal judgment. Those are good signs. If you never hear them talking about these things, they might be a wolf. And what their goal is, is to make you happier than holier. They, they're not so concerned about your sanctification. They want you to follow after them. So we've got to pay attention to doctrine because false teachers will teach destructive heresies. And secondly, this is the second earmark, they live destructive lives. This is the fruit that you might not see when you first hear one. Um, and what they do is they, they feed themselves. This is underneath destructive lives. They feed themselves. Now, Paul said, if you'll remember, he said, I coveted no one's gold or silver or apparel. I didn't want anything from you. But in Jude, verse 12, he says, speaking of false prophets or uh, false teachers, he says, these are hidden reefs. You see that? Hidden reefs at your love feasts. In other words, they are under the water. You can't see them at first. It's like a ship that can't see a reef and it runs into it and shipwrecks itself. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. A false teacher will feed upon the flock in order to feed themselves. Um, Tim Challey says it this way, they're more concerned about your goods than your good. I like that. They're more concerned about getting your goods than about your good. Um, and they want to use the flock for personal gain instead of shepherding it. They feed themselves. Secondly, they encourage sensuality. In Jude 4, Jude writes, For certain people have crept in um, unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, or that's a license to live an immoral life. It's that kind of like, I'm free, Christ died to set me free from any law, so I'm free to do whatever I want. That, that's the kind of teaching that you're going to get from someone that is teaching sensuality. They will deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And it also says in 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. So we need to be aware of, of false teachers who feed themselves, who encourage sensu sensuality, sensuality, and lastly, who disrupt the unity of, of the body. Now, this is one that's very extreme. They're all destructive, but this is one we need to really be on the lookout for uh, because, uh, again, Jude 16 says, these are grumblers, malcontents, 
a malcontent is someone that's a fault finder. They're always finding what's wrong with whatever you're doing. That's a malcontent. Following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism. They show favoritism in order to gain advantage. Verse 19 says, It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. False teachers are agents that come in, they blend in with the people, and their, their goal is to destroy the work of God, to, to destroy the fellowship of God, to destroy the work of God. Now, I want to just say this real quick. Um, not everybody who, is, who teaches falsehood, uh, who fails morally or causes division, is necessarily uh, a wolf. Uh, you need to understand that. Just because someone teaches something false does not mean they are a wolf. How do you know if they're a wolf? Well, the, the, the difference between a wolf and a straying sheep is this. When you go to that person, a straying sheep, if you go to them and you confront them and you correct them and, and they respond and repent, that shows that they're a true sheep. We all, there's, there are areas in all of our lives that you don't see rightly about God and, and might need to be corrected in, me included in that. It doesn't mean I'm a false teacher. But if I continue to teach that falsehood, that may mean that I am a wolf. And what I've noticed and what I've seen over the years is that a wolf will not respond to correction. And if, if they are in the midst of a congregation that will not stand for it, they will leave that congregation and set up shop in another congregation and start their work again there. So that one of the things that Paul is warning the church about is, listen, I'm going to be gone, I'm going to leave, and wolves are going to come in. So stay alert. Do not let them uh, destroy the church. So how do we guard against wolves? Well, Paul said to pay careful attention uh, to yourselves and to all the flock. I like what he says in, to Timothy. He says, pay close attention to yourselves and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. The way that we fight against wolves is not by chasing them around. It's by paying close attention to ourselves and to our doctrines and, and also knowing that we all have wolf tendencies with inside of ourselves. We're all tempted to go that way. It's not just out there. It's also in here. Last thing I'm going to say about this is that I like what David Mathis says. He says, the greatest defense against false teaching is a local church community that knows, enjoys, and lives the Word of God. We've got to continue to grow in the Word of God. Now, Paul loved the flock. He loved the church. Um, I, I, can, I can just, I can't imagine what he was experiencing knowing that he's never going to see them again. And so he gives them these instructions that I've just shared with our church that we, if we, if we apply them, we're going to grow, we're going to protect ourselves, we're going to be effective ministers. And he loved the church and he loved the church because Christ was in him loving the church through him. And I want you to know that I love our church. Uh, I love Reach Life Church. And um, my desire is that I would continue to grow as an effective minister and that we all would do that. And in order to do that, you've got to see yourself as a minister. It's not just me. 
It's, it's not just the, the leaders like Steve Linhart and the Scott and Georgiana Adams. Now, I shouldn't have started doing that because I'm not going to name everybody. And the Leslie and Steve Cassells I'm not, and my wife. I'm not going to. We, we need to see that we all are ministers and we've all been given a ministry. And if you're having a hard time seeing what that ministry is, this is what the church is for. Talk, share, explain. Be encouraged. Listen to what other people are doing. There's people that are going out in the community right now. They're getting involved in high schools to minister, to meet needs there. We've got people meeting at Dunkin' Donuts in the mornings on a regular basis. We've got people in the school systems doing things like that. We have people that own businesses that are using their businesses that way. Wherever God has planted you, that is where your ministry is. And we need to be together to encourage one another, come in together, be built up, and then go out and to minister. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for um, the ministry that you have given each one of us. Um, You have called us to yourself, and those of us who have responded to you in faith, those of us who have um, trusted in what Jesus did for us, as he ministered to us, those of us who have received his ministry, Lord, you have given us a ministry. And what a joy and excitement it is when we, we really are filled with your spirit and we see the joy um, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I pray that, Lord, that you would continue to work in our church. I pray that you would help us to uh, endure hardships. I ask that you would help us to engage Uh, as examples. I ask that you would help us to exposit scripture rightly. I ask that you would help us to be able to identify false uh, prophets and teachers, Lord, that we would be a body that is growing um, as we are learning how to be uh, engaging ministers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.